The scripture reading is from John 11:17 through 44. On his arrival, Jesus found that Nazareth had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. What I'd like to do is point out four four things that we can see in this passage, this uh, story of the raising of Lazarus. We see these things. We see a big problem. We see a big promise. We see a big question that is asked. 
and we see grace, God's grace. So let, let me work through that. So first, um, there's a problem that is seen in this passage, and it is the biggest problem any of us will ever face, and we will face it. And I'm referring to the problem of death. This is a passage about a man who died, a man named Lazarus. And as we read this passage, we just need to recognize that what happened to Lazarus will happen to us. I mean, unless we happen to be living among the final generation that's in this world when Christ returns, other than that, every person in this room will die. We don't know when it will happen. We don't know how it will happen. But would you agree we can be sure of this? It will happen to us. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 says, death is the destiny of everyone. And if you, if you just think about that, I know this is kind of grim to talk this way, but if you think about that, this is the big problem. I mean, this is it. I don't know what problems you uh, spent time worrying about or stressing over this last week. Maybe you're really mad at somebody over something or you were kind of having trouble sleeping over some problem. What, whatever it was, it pales in comparison to the problem of death. The, the Apostle Paul, he called death the final enemy. It's the last enemy that we'll face. Isaiah the prophet, he, he called death the shroud that covers all nations. It, it's, it is the problem. No matter, listen, no matter how well your life is going right now or how poorly you might feel your life is going right now, the moment you die, it won't matter. And you see that with this man Lazarus. Lazarus was a person whose life seemed to be going pretty well for him. You, you read in this passage that Lazarus had a very close family. Whenever you read of Lazarus, you always read of his two sisters, Martha and Mary. They seemed to be a, a very close family unit. It seemed that his sisters loved him very much, so he has a close family. You read on into the next chapter, you also see that he had a big house, big enough, you, you read, to host a party for Jesus and the disciples and all the people from the community. I mean, here, here's a guy, he, he's got a, a close family, a big house. You also read in, in the next chapter that Lazarus's family had a lot of money. In chapter 12, you read that at this party, Lazarus's sister, uh, Mary, she took a bottle of expensive perfume. It's so expensive that if you and I bought this, it would be the biggest purchase we make in the next decade. I mean, just worth lots and lots of money. And she took this perfume and just poured it on Jesus' feet. So here's Lazarus, close family, big house, lots of money. You also see here that he, he had plenty of friends. He seems to have been very respected in his community, very popular in the eyes of others. So verse 19 says, many, see that word? Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Over my years in ministry, I have on occasion conducted, conducted funerals where there's only been a handful of people there, just two or three people. I've also conducted funerals where you could not fit anyone else in the room. It was just packed with people. That's, that's the kind of funeral Lazarus had. 
So many people knew him. So many people loved him. So many people grieved when, when he's died. So here's, here's a person, just to, just to put this in context. He has a close family. He has a big house. He has lots of money. He has many, many friends. But when his heart stopped beating, none of that mattered anymore. That's, that's, that's the way it is. Marcus, Marcus Aurelius, the, uh, the Roman emperor and philosopher, he once said this. He said, Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great and his mule driver both died. And the same thing happened to both. They dissolved into atoms. So that's the big problem we face. I know you didn't hope to hear about this on a, on a Sunday morning in, in, in March, but that's the problem. And, and one thing I love about the Bible is it, it, it holds that in our face. It won't let us live in denial of that. For, for example, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 2. This is from the New International Reader's Version. It says this, Everyone will die someday. Death comes to godly and sinful people alike. It comes to good and bad people alike. It comes to clean and unclean people alike. Those who offer sacrifices and those who don't offer them also die. A good person dies, and so does a sinner. Those who make promises die, so do those who are afraid to make them. And then verse 3 says, here's what's so bad about everything that happens on this earth. Death catches up with all of us. So that's the big problem. Now, in the face of that problem, in the face of that tomb, Jesus makes a big promise. I mean, just an enormous promise. Verse 20 says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection in the last day. And then here's the promise. John 11 verse 25 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That's, that's quite a statement. Would you agree that Jesus made? I am the resurrection. What, what did he mean by that? Well, it, listen, in the first century, most Jewish people believed, and Jesus believed, they believed that at the end of human history, God will restore all of creation. God will make everything new. God, God will put an end to the curse that's on this world because of sin. He'll put an end to the corruption, the decay that's, that's destroying our planet. God will raise people from the dead. And they believed with all their hearts that God will allow his people to live with him in a perfect world forever. That's what they believed. That's what Jesus believed. That's what the Bible teaches. And, and, and the people of Christ's time, they referred to this final act of God at the end of time. They called this the resurrection. The resurrection. And the hope that beat in the heart of every devout Jewish man, Jewish woman in the first century, the hope that beat in their heart was that somehow, somehow, they would be acceptable enough in the eyes of God to be included in the resurrection. And so in this passage, Jesus comes to this brokenhearted woman who's lost her brother. 
who's standing next to his grave, and, and he basically says to her, he says, Martha, do you want to see your brother again? Do, do you want to live in the new creation? Do you want to be included in the resurrection? And then he says this, I am the resurrection. It's me. If you want all of that, the promise of God, he said, just come to me. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now that is the big promise that Christ made, and that promise is the hope that the church of Jesus Christ has built its faith on for over 2,000 years. Jesus promises eternal life in an embodied existence, in a restored creation, in a perfect world. Listen, to anyone and everyone who trusts in Him. And the proof Jesus gave, the proof He gave that He can keep that promise is that three days after they killed Jesus, He walked out of His tomb, right? He rose. The, the Apostle Paul built his entire life on that hope. First, first Corinthians verse 15, he wrote this, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who fall fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All those who are in Christ, all will be made alive. That's, that's the promise Jesus makes. So we see the, the problem. It's a big one. We see the promise. It's even bigger, right? And then uh, we hear a question. Big question. Now, now the promise Christ makes here, um, this is not an unconditional promise for everyone in the world, is it? He, he, puts, he puts a condition on it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life the one who, what, believes in me will live. The, the promise he makes is for those who believe. So this is the question. Jesus asked Martha, Martha, end of verse 26, do you believe? That's his main question for her. Martha, do, do you believe this? And if you look at the, the details of the story, it seems to me a little bit strange that Jesus would ask that question of someone like Martha. You'll, you'll notice in, in verse 20 that when Jesus came to the town, most of the people didn't go out to see him. Mary just stayed at home. The other people stayed at home. They were like, ah, oh, Jesus is here. whoop de doo But Martha, oh, Martha was different. Martha went out to seek Christ. She got up and left her home and went out there to seek the Lord. Um, everyone else stayed at home. Martha went out to seek the Lord. Kind of just like us this morning, right? How many of your neighbors are still at home in bed right now? But not you. You got up to seek the Lord. So did I, just like Martha, right? Also notice in verse 21, when Martha comes to Jesus, what does she call him? Lord. She calls him Lord. Again, hey, just like us. 
in our songs of praise, our, 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 our time of worship. We are, we are adoring Jesus today as our Lord. And then you'll notice also about Martha that Martha apparently, she had very good theology. She, she adhered to solid, orthodox, biblical doctrine. Jesus, in verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And she comes in to kind of add some theological depth to what Jesus says. In verse 24, Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She believes the right thing. She's got the right doctrine. So if you think about it, isn't it strange that he would ask her this question? Here's, here's a woman who she goes out seeking the, Jesus. She addresses him as Lord. She adheres to the right doctrine. And yet he, his question for her is, do you believe? Do you believe? Now, why, why would Jesus ask that question? Now, apparently, Believing in Jesus must mean something more than just going to the right place and saying the right words. I mean, let's face it, there are hundreds of thousands of people in churches all over the world this morning who've gone to the right place and they're saying the right words. Believing in Christ must mean something more than just that. So what was Christ getting at? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? One, one way you could, you could answer that is to say this. Listen, believing in Jesus means acknowledging that He is who He claimed to be, rejoicing in the fact that He is who He claimed to be, and then simply entrusting yourself to Him. Just saying, Jesus, I trust you. I'm yours. The, the old Westminster Shorter Catechism says we, we know that we have faith in Christ when, quote, it says, when we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. I love that. The two verbs are there are receive and rest. I just receive him. He's my savior. And I rest upon him. Have you done that? Are you doing that today? Resting on Christ for your salvation. That's the question Jesus had for Martha. He didn't say, oh, Martha, did you come out to meet me? He knew he, she had. He didn't say, Martha, do, do you call me Lord? He knew she called him that. Martha, do you have the right doctrine? He could hear that from her lips. That wasn't the question. He said, Martha, do you believe? Are you simply trusting? So we see this big problem. We see a big promise, and we hear this question. And then finally, in this passage, and don't miss this, we see grace. Now, in verse 27, uh, Martha professes her faith in Christ, right? Jesus says to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Do you believe this? How does Martha answer? Verse 27, she says, yes, yes. She replied, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. She professed her faith in Christ, and I think it was a genuine profession of faith. But then, later in the passage, when Jesus comes to the tomb, sees everyone weeping, decides to perform a miracle, and then when Jesus says, take away the stone, does Martha say yes? No. Does she say, yes, Lord, yes, <laughs> of course, whatever you want. I, I trust you implicitly. I will obey you completely. No. Ver end of verse 39. Jesus says, take away the stone, and Martha says, but Lord... By this time, there's a bad odor, 
He's been there for four days. We can't do what you're telling us. We can't, we can't follow your command. We can't do that. No. So if you look at it, what's going on in this passage? Martha's words of faith are contradicted by her actions. Would you agree with that? Her words of faith are contradicted by these, these actions of unbelief. She said, she said, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and then she acted as if she didn't believe that, as if he didn't have power over that tomb. So her behavior didn't match her words. And here's where I just need to stop in the sermon and be very honest with you. That has often described me. And let me ask you to be honest. Has that ever described you? Have you, have you ever found yourself saying you believe in Jesus but then kind of behaving like you don't? You say your sins are forgiven, but then you can't forgive others. Or, or you say you trust in the Lord, and then you just spend the whole week wallowing in fear. Or you say you belong to Christ wholeheartedly, and then you keep falling into that same old embarrassing sin. Have, have you ever been like Martha? I have, and I bet you have too. And here's where I absolutely love this passage. Martha's behavior doesn't match her words. She says one thing and she does another. The conduct of her life falls short of the profession of her faith. And what does Jesus do? He raises her brother anyway. Isn't that something? He, he, listen, he raises, he doesn't, in other words, in this passage, he does not give Martha what she deserves. What does he give her? He gives her grace. Grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is blessing that you haven't earned. You know, grace is when instead of giving us what we deserve, God gives us what we need. Or you could put it this way. Grace, grace is when instead of giving us what we deserve, God gives us what Christ deserves. And how many of you know that the gospel of Christ is all about grace? I mean, it's all about grace. John, John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, From the fullness of Christ we have all received grace upon grace. It's a strange phrase. It just means like grace just keeps piling on. It doesn't stop. Grace upon grace. It says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus. Ephesians, 4, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8. Do you know this verse? It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the what? The gift of God. Romans 3, verse 24 says, We are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. It's all about grace. And I listen, I find that so encouraging. I find that encouraging in, in, in this story. Sometimes, sometimes people will suggest to you that God will work in your Home, God will work in your family if you have enough faith and the right kind of faith. Martha didn't have enough faith. She didn't have the right kind of faith. 
She couldn't, she didn't have the courage to do what Jesus was asking. And he worked in her home anyway. He raised her brother anyway. Martha didn't have enough faith to, to, to take away the stone and open the tomb. In fact, she didn't even have enough faith to pray to God for a miracle. And Jesus just said, oh, you know what? Then I'll just do the praying for you. Verse 42, Jesus says, Father, I'm saying this. I'm praying this, not because I need to do it. It's for the benefit of those asking here. It's like he's saying, God, Father, my sister Martha over here, she doesn't even have the faith or, 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 or the, uh, the wherewithal today to pray a prayer, so I'm going to do it for her. I, I will step in and do what she can't do. Listen, that's grace. And the one thing, I, listen, believer in Christ, the one thing I hope you'll hear today is God dealt with Martha. Jesus dealt with her on the basis of grace. That is the way God will deal with you all the time. I mean, all the time. God, God listen, God doesn't, God does not treat us as our sins deserve, right? And he doesn't even treat us as our righteousness deserves. He doesn't, he doesn't deal with us on the basis of our faithfulness. Isn't this good news? He deals with us on the basis of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So if, if, if today you feel that you've been a little bit like Martha, your, uh, your words don't quite match your behavior or your words don't quite match your attitude. What I want you to hear today is that Christ today is inviting you to rest and rejoice in His grace. We don't always have great faith, do we? Right? We always have a great Savior. Always. And He's here with us today. So let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you that Jesus has overcome the grave. He has overcome the tomb and he offers life right now and life for eternity to everyone who trusts in him. We trust in him, but our faith is often weak. And we thank you that your salvation isn't dependent on the strength of our faith, but on the strength of our Savior. So we rejoice in him, we rest in him, we give him glory, and we give him praise in his name. Amen.